All right, good morning. I'm Matt, and I'm here to grab coffee with you. Got my cup of coffee right here. Drinking a little bit of uh, Dunkin' Donuts coffee out of a K-cup. I've been mixing, uh, mixing up eight ounces of whole milk with a scoop of whey protein, pouring that in, and coffee on top. Comes out tasting kind of like a latte. It's been a great way to start my morning. I had a big scoop of coconut oil um, after I poured the coffee. Uh, get it nice and melty in there, and gives me just the amount of energy that I need to get throughout the day. So this morning, uh, I'm going to talk about five different stories uh, in yeah, U.S. news that have the potential to affect various aspects of business around the country, and uh, that's really the point of the show here, um, just to bring some news stories and to offer some commentary and to frame these stories uh, in a way that makes them relevant to business. Right? We hear stories all the time, uh, you know, on, on CNN or Fox News or wherever uh, your preferred news source is, but uh, they're, they're presented just, you know, as a story. Right, you've got to go to like CNBC or Fox Business if you want to get the business perspective on the story. So I'm going to offer something along the line of uh, that perspective. So first story that I'm looking at today uh, comes out of uh, a federal court where a federal judge has dismissed to blockbuster antitrust complaints against Facebook, according to NPR, and a setback to federal and state prosecutors who are pushing for a breakup of the social media giant. The case is filed separately by the Federal Trade Commission and 48 state attorneys general in December accused Facebook of crushing competition by swallowing rivals, including Instagram and WhatsApp, and stifling other would-be competitors by cutting their access to its valuable data and systems. So, Obviously, today, um, a lot of people uh, at the state level are very concerned about the power that Facebook has accumulated over the past number of years, and many people are worried about whether or not they're wielding that power for good. Um, they're harvesting a lot of data from their users, um, they're selling that data, uh, not necessarily without the consent of the users, right? The, the users are clicking the accept button on the user license agreement. Uh, and that does give Facebook the authority to market any data that you share on the site uh, to whoever they want. Um, at the same time, that user license agreement is a massive contract. If you wanted to have a thorough understanding of all of the details of that contract, you would have to hire a contract attorney to go through uh, that, that contract with you. So there is some level of explicit consent, um, but I would say the implied consent is not there. And a lot of people are very concerned about that. And uh, this case is you know, probably the first of many to look at whether or not Facebook is violating any antitrust laws. Uh, this federal judge said that the complaints that were brought against Facebook in this case uh, were too broad 
Um, but I, I think it is very likely that, you know, in the coming months and years that there will be additional antitrust cases which are brought against Facebook. And uh, they'll have to address each of those on an individual basis. Next story I'm looking at today is about United Airlines, uh, who has just purchased 270 new planes in a massive bet on future travel. This is coming from an NPR story by Camilla Damanowski. She says, United Airplanes is placing a jumbo-sized order of narrow-body aircraft. The company is purchasing 270 new planes from Boeing and Airbus. Last year, U.S. airlines were fighting to survive, struggling in the depths of the pandemic. They received an infusion of cash and cheap loans from the U.S. government and, between aid packages, furloughed tens of thousands of workers. Things have changed clearly. Business and international flights are still down from pre-pandemic levels, but domestic leisure travel, the kind where single-aisle planes dominate, is roaring back. United is planning for growth and ready to spend billions to get there, though it did not mention a specific price tag on Tuesday. So I think it's interesting. Um, I'm generally pretty bearish on the airlines. Uh, I think that they're poorly managed companies, generally. Um, it's an industry where those who have survived the longest rule the roost. Uh, there are new players that are popping up uh, at the regional level intermittently, but they can't really compete on the national international level with airline companies like United, American, Delta. Um, and in my estimation, this immense power that these large airline companies have accumulated over the decades has put the management in a place where even the worst decisions that they make can't kill their business, right? If you are somebody who takes regular business trips, you have an airline who you've been flying with for years likely, you've been accumulating their reward points, their miles, and you become a loyal customer. Even if you have some bad experiences with that airline, the chances that you make it jump to one of the other two or three uh, who are capable of accommodating you is very low. Um, you've got a lot of sunk costs and those points and those miles, and you're probably not very excited to go fly with an airline with which you're less familiar, where you're gonna get uh, you know, fewer perks and, and French benefits. And so, United, the, the airline companies, not just United, um, but the industry as a whole, seems to me to be very poorly managed. Customer service, it seems, has been on a decline for about 10 years now. And so I, I have high expectations for the airline industry in general, but not for the companies who constitute the major players in that industry at this time. I think that a day of reckoning is coming for them. Um, and if they're not able to come up with a better customer service strategy, um, you know, they're going to need a very powerful, compelling PR campaign, uh, especially with some of the stories that were coming out of the pandemic, you know, with companies like Southwest Airlines, 
kicking families with two-year-olds off of a plane because the two-year-old wouldn't keep a mask on even though the two-year-old is supposed to be exempt from having to wear a mask. There's a lot of ugly stories that have come out um, about the way that uh, families flying with young children were treated um, by uh, flight attendants uh, on their flights. And so I think they have uh, a lot of ground to make up uh, because of that. The next story that I'm talking about is uh, this story, another one from NPR this morning. Uh, California bans state travel to Florida and four other states. So, the uh, oh, this is actually from the Associated Press. San Francisco. California added five more states, including Florida, to the list of places where state-funded travel is banned because of laws that discriminate against members of the LGBT community. The state attorney general announced Monday. Democratic Attorney General Rob Bonta added Florida, Arkansas, Montana, North Dakota, and West Virginia to the list that now has 17 states where state employee travel is forbidden, except under limited uh, circumstances. Uh, this is Bonta. Make no mistake, we're in the midst of an unprecedented wave of bigotry and discrimination in this country, and the state of California is not going to support it. The 12 other states on the list are Texas, Alabama, Idaho, Iowa, Oklahoma, South Carolina, South Dakota, Kentucky, North Carolina, Kansas, Mississippi, and Tennessee. So, California has become, um, over the last 20 or 30 years, likely the most poorly managed state in the United States. Um, they take a lot of hard and fast positions that negatively affect a large portion of their constituents. And it seems that they have become willing to appease their more vocal constituents rather than appeal to the constituents that are you know, necessary for the success of the state. Now, what I mean by that is that California has extremely high taxes and they're investing those taxes primarily into social welfare programs, which is great. State you know, obviously needs those programs, but it has neglected the maintenance of its infrastructure. It has um, created a business environment, which is very difficult for uh, California-based companies to operate inside of. Um, and it, it has raised taxes to such a high degree on um, the most productive segments of their society in a way that has made it just a place that no one really wants to conduct business anymore. Right? Um, this... It's not a law, but this moratorium on state employee travel is very likely just um, 
PR related. Right, California is trying to make its stance known uh, how important uh, laws that are amenable to members of the LGBTQ community uh, should be. Because this memo, it, it says non-essential travel, right? It is a ban on non-essential travel for state employees. It's still very interesting, but I'm not sure that it really means anything. For instance, if Governor Newsom wanted to fly to Texas to meet with Governor Greg Abbott, I don't think that this, is, this prohibits... Governor Newsom from doing that, right? It says it's a ban on non-essential travel. Well, if the government decides that it's essential for Governor Newsom to meet with Governor Abbott, then I imagine that Governor Newsom is very able to fly to Austin to meet with the Texas governor. So, uh, this seems kind of just like, you know, virtue signaling. More than anything, they feel like they need to do something. Um, they, they they feel like they need to do whatever they can to discourage uh, LGBTQ discriminatory uh, laws and measures in other states. And I suppose that this is the way that they've decided to do that. So uh, it is a very interesting story. Um, I'm not sure that there's really any merit to it. I'm not sure that it's actually going to affect much, you know, at the level of California state government. But I do think it's another sign of the short-sighted um, nature of the California Californian government's uh, approach to managing the state. Right? It's another one of these things where you, as, you know, the, what, the 14th largest economy in the world, um, obviously, California requires the business of many other states. Uh, California is a major agricultural hub in the United States, but the majority of their agricultural products are not being consumed in California, right? They're being consumed in some of the other largest states, right? Texas and Florida, and New York, Colorado. Obviously, Colorado and New York are not on uh, the band, but you know, Texas and Florida obviously are. Uh, and they are a huge customer. They provide a huge customer base for California businesses. And it seems to me that it is a, just a very uh, narrow and short-sighted uh, stance to take in lieu of the potential damage that moves like this could cause relationships between California and other states uh, in the United States. Uh, for our fourth story today, we are talking about Hurricane Danny. Um, this coming from Joe Peterson of the Orlando Sentinel. Tropical Storm Danny fizzled to remnants of its former self early Tuesday as the storm made its way through South Carolina and over Georgia, according to the National Hurricane Center's 5 a.m. update. Meanwhile, the NHC is monitoring two tropical waves in the Atlantic. 
including one that is better organized as of Tuesday morning. The fourth named storm of the season formed off uh, South Carolina's coast Monday afternoon, but weakened to a tropical depression around 11 p.m. after making landfall in South Carolina, the NHC said. As of Tuesday morning, Danny weakened further to remnants and is 95 miles east-southeast from Atlanta, the NHC said. Its maximum sustained winds dropped to 25 miles per hour. Danny is moving west-northwest at about 17 miles an hour. The remnants still contain high gusts, but those are expected to dissipate over the next week or so. So, the article is saying, basically, that Hurricane Danny is not going to be a storm that is going to cause, you know, extremely high level of damage. Uh, but the presence, presence of Hurricane Danny, I think, is significant because it signals that hurricane season is here. This is a very early start to the hurricane season, right? To get a named storm uh, in the month of June, very early. Not unprecedented, <clears throat> but it is early. Uh, I would imagine that it is indicative of the way that this entire hurricane season will go, right? We're probably going to get some frequent... Uh, powerful storms and in the content that Aspen Grove has been putting out we focused a lot lately on disruptions in supply chains and global supply chains global value chains by forces that are outside of the control of industry right uh, the pandemic obviously being likely the most significant disruptor to global value chains, uh, potentially in the history of the world. If not, it's been a hundred years since there's been an event that disruptful. So natural disasters have the potential to render many business operations unable to conduct business for significant periods of time, right? If you are, say, a Florida-based company, big storm comes in, it has the potential to destroy your warehouse, to ruin all the goods that you have stored there. Uh, if it doesn't, it does likely prevent trucks, uh, outbound freight, from being able to leave your warehouse or distribution center and get to their destinations elsewhere in the country. Um, if you're in manufacturing, a big storm comes through, there's, you know, a day or two or three or even a week where your employees are not able to get into work, right? A lot of times you see these videos in the aftermath of these hurricanes, there's water standing in the streets, right? Even if an employee did feel safe enough to go brave the environment to make it to work, it's entirely possible that they would be physically incapable of making it there without a boat, right? And as business owners, we never want to end up in a situation where we're trying to make our employees float a boat down the highway to come to work. Right? It seems fairly unethical, but the important thing here is as a business with a robust supply chain, you have to be prepared for catastrophic events that can be harmful to your business, right? Especially depending on where your operations are located. Uh, these sorts of disruptions are inevitable, right? If you have a business that's headquartered in South Florida, 
the chances that a hurricane are going to come through and disrupt your business at some point over the next five years is like 100%. It's unavoidable. Um, obviously, you could move. You could come somewhere to the center of the country. Like us, we're here in Colorado. Um, that may not be the smartest move for your business, right? Regardless of the disruptions that can come from hurricane force storms, it still may make the most sense for you to be located in Florida. So it's just important that you're constantly creating contingency plans for how your business will conduct its operations in the event that a massive hurricane blows in and disrupts your supply chain. What are you going to do when that happens? Because it's not an if, it is a when. It will happen. You have to be prepared. So how are you preparing? Last story for the day, we're talking about um, this story. Uh, let's see. From NBC News, U.S. forces in Syria attack after airstrikes on Iran-backed militias. There were no injuries and the damage was being assessed. Colonel Wayne Morado, the military spokesman for Operation Inherent Resolve, said on Twitter, U.S. forces in Syria were attacked by rockets a day after the U.S. military carried out what a Pentagon official called defensive airstrikes in Iraq and Syria against Iran-backed Militia groups, Colonel Wayne Morado, the military spokesman for Operation Inherent Resolve, an international coalition fighting the Islamic State extremist group, said that around 7.44 p.m. local time Monday, U.S. forces in Syria came under rocket fire. There were no injuries and the damage was being assessed. Morado later tweeted that while under attack, U.S. forces in Syria responded in self-defense with artillery fire at rocket launching positions. So, first and foremost... Um, I, it sounds like no one was injured, so I hope that, you know, all of our servicemen and women are safe, um, through this conflict. But this conflict pertains to business in, in a couple of different ways. Um, in, there are a few countries in the Middle East that have, um, a very high degree of control over commodities outbound from the region. And so every time that I see rising conflicts in that region, I become concerned um, about what the impact will that will have on the global economy. Right? My biggest concern is always with Iran, right? Uh, if any significant conflict were to arise with Iran, uh, they would have the ability to effectively close down the Suez Canal, right? Where 30% of uh, all uh, global products travel. Um, the most significant one, in my opinion, being oil. And if there is anything that ever affects the global petroleum product supply chains, value chains in that way, that could be immensely damaging to, I want to say a number of, but honestly, the majority of businesses, especially here in the United States. If you are a company that depends on fossil fuels in any way, 
having that line to fossil fuels uh, cut off could be a huge problem. Right. Even if you're the company that's transitioning rapidly from fossil fuels to renewable energy sources, you still have a level of dependence on fo uh, fossil fuels. Right. Even a, a large number of components that are used in uh, uh, sustainable energy, uh, renewable energy uh, creation come from fossil fuel products. Right. They are uh, plastics and rubbers. Those are petroleum derivatives. And our global value chains are already stretched so thin, right? Since the beginning of the pandemic, we've, every week there's a new item that is, it's no longer available anywhere in the world, right? We remember it with uh, toilet paper was the really big one at the beginning of the pandemic uh, that spilled over into other paper products like paper towels, paper plates, paper napkins, uh, disposable forks, and things of that nature. Um, there was Chick-fil-A sauce. That one broke my heart. Lord knows I love my chicken and that Chick-fil-A sauce. But it's one of those things where we've had so much, so many disruptions in the past year to business. And you just don't want to see anything else happening anywhere else in the world that could further hamper the operations of businesses around the world. Right? Obviously, being an American, my primary concern lays with the American uh, organizations, and I know that even though we are really leading the charge in the transition to renew renewable energy as an electrical source uh, for, you know, travel and manufacturing and technology, that we are still a very, very petroleum-dependent nation, right? A very de petroleum dependent economy. Um, forget for a moment how a global oil shortage would affect United States based organizations and think for just a minute about how a global oil shortage would affect the average American, the average working class American, right? If, if you're paying $3 a gallon for gasoline, which is already high. Imagine what it does to your budget if instead of paying $3 a gallon, you're paying $4 a gallon, right? Uh, if you've got a 15-gallon gas tank, that's an extra $15 every time you go to the pump. You may have to refuel twice a week. It's an extra $30 a week. That's an extra $120 a month. That can be very significant for someone who is in the, the lower uh, income brackets, right? It doesn't take much uh, to push someone over the edge, especially when you take into account everything else that has happened in the past year, right? A lot of people have already lost their jobs. A lot of those jobs, they don't exist anymore. I've seen estimates as high as 30% of all small businesses in the United States went under in the pandemic and have not come back yet and have no expectations of being able to come back. Right, so many of these small businesses that went under, 
they were barely breaking even, maybe making just a little bit of a profit. But it's not like they were able to take, you know, tens or hundreds of thousands or even millions of dollars and stash them in the bank for a rainy day, right? Where they would have all this operating capital continue their business uh, through the shutdown. Or perhaps, you know, they were paying their workers really good wages. And then this happens and it's now like, okay, you can come back, but business has been severely hampered and I'm not going to be able to pay you what I was paying you before, right? Now those people uh, are highly motivated to go find a job that will pay what they were getting paid pre-pandemic. Um, and through, uh, uh, you know, various government subsidies, they, they have the resources that they need to be able to take some time and go explore the job market and see what other kind of opportunities are out there for them, right? So you can see how these, these small factors... Um, with these small factors, there's uh, an immense bullwhip effect where everything that happens down a value chain um, adds on to the other problems that are being experienced up the value chain somewhere else. So, what are our takeaways today? Well, one with Facebook. I'm personally very bearish on Facebook right now, right? Especially Facebook as an equity. I think that Facebook will likely be a very, very powerful company for at least the next 20 years. Honestly, I don't think that Facebook as a platform will be used very much. I would be surprised if their run lasted even another decade with Facebook proper. Um, some of their other services, you know, may provide a little bit more value to end users down the road. But at least anecdotally, I'm seeing a lot of evidence of there being a mass exodus from Facebook and people looking for alternative uh, options for, for social media. And I think Facebook being the 900-pound gorilla uh, is a, a light, is the number one, going to be the number one target. Um, I see Instagram probably getting spun off of Facebook before too long. I'd be surprised if that didn't happen in the next two years. Uh, that would significantly reduce the value of Facebook. Um and there, there always seems to be some really negative PR circulating about the company, right? Whether it be the company's culture or somebody saying that Facebook is spying on us or, you know, somebody saying that, you know, Mark Zuckerberg has become too powerful. Uh, there's this kind of natural distrust of these mega billionaires, um, and the people wondering just, you know, what are you doing with all of that money that you have? Uh, what are your plans? Why aren't you doing better things with it? Why is your focus on making this company more and more powerful when clearly it is already powerful enough? So I think that the success of an antitrust suit is just a matter of time. I don't think that this recent dismissal um, is indicative of the antitrust concerns that Facebook will have in the future. With the United Airlines story, 
again, I think it's probably a, a, a questionable decision, if nothing else. Right? Is it a bad decision? No. I mean, you know, these businesses, they need to be taking on um, uh, additional capital equipment. Um, a lot of their equipment is, is dated. Right, maintenance fees are getting more and more expensive. Uh, everybody wants to fly on newer, nicer planes. Um, my real question would be, why are they spending so much money on conventional jets at the moment when they're discussing uh, looking more into the supersonic jet travel? Right, like the Condor who took its last flight in two thousand and three. Um, Big discussion right now about are we going to be able to bring supersonic travel back? Right, we have the technology to 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 you know, use uh, noise canceling technology, so it's not as noisy as it used to be in the eighties and nineties. And um, people don't want to wait for things anymore, right? If you tell somebody that they can get from New York to London in three hours, they want to get to New York from New York to London in three hours, right? And they're going to be disappointed if they have to hop on a 737 MAX and take the normal, you know, eight and a half, nine hour flight to get there. Um, so 270, uh, it's a big investment. It's a really big investment. And that capital investment takes away from Facebook's ability to be able to invest in the research and development that will be necessary to bring those supersonic jets to market, right? So in my opinion, I think that they should be placing a higher degree of focus on that, right, on the innovation, rather than making continued investments uh, into their existing business model, which is doing well, not that well. Um, we're talking about a recovering economy, not a booming economy. They didn't lose any planes over the pandemic, right? It's not like planes were dropping out of the sky and falling into the ocean. Those planes have just been sitting in a yard. And it's pretty easy to maintenance those planes and get them ready to fly again as opposed to buying an entire new fleet of a variety of different kinds of jets, right? I think that they probably should have invested some uh, in the renovation of some of their existing equipment. Um, maybe... And investment, maybe not of this magnitude, uh, into this, uh, you know, capital equipment uh, investment. Um, they should definitely be investing a lot into improving customer service, right? I think that in today's world, uh, top of the line, world-class customer service uh, is not an option. It's a requirement. Right? If you're not treating your customer well, your business is going to fail. Right? There are so many options for everything, for anything, in any industry, in any area, that the customers have the ability to go source who is going to treat them the best, who is going to provide them the most bang for their buck. Right? Consumers have become smarter. They're looking for value-added propositions in every business transaction, right? And for them, business transactions could be buying a plane ticket to go visit family for Thanksgiving, right? And they don't want to deal with the headaches of dealing with whatever the worst airline is at the time, 
Right? I'm not going to make an assessment of who that is. But we know that people are looking for better, right? People believe that they deserve better. And so they're going to find it. And if you're not the company that is providing better, I don't think that you're going to be around in the long term. I think a lot of these businesses, they believe they're too big to fail, just like the financial institutions did in 2007, 2008. And we know what happened there, right? I don't want to see that kind of situation happen again. Um, I don't like these monster government bailout plans. I think it's bad monetary policy. And um, I think that the easy way to avoid that is just to be a better business, right? Not to be trusting that, hey, if I make a really bad decision, the government is going to bail me out, right? Because when you think that way, you're thinking that the government is this ethereal institution that exists just to help people. But at the end of the day, the government is we the people. And we the people were not happy at all about bailing out the financial institutions in 2008, 2009, and then watch them return to the same modes of operation as they were thriving in in the pre-Great Recession economy. And we've seen the airport, the airlines receive a lot of stimulus, right? A lot of government government support in the past year and a half, um, and at various other times uh, in, in in the last twenty years. So, I personally would just like to see them put customer service first, put um, you know set management as a priority. Right, that we are going to have good processes, um, that we are going to focus on providing the customer's value uh, up and down the organization and across all areas. That is going to be our number one focus. And that we're going to be financially responsible in all areas of our business so we don't return to 2008. I think that there's a lot of industries that could end up in the same position that the financial institutions did at that time. And I think there are two things that they have in common with the financial institutions from 2008. Number one, obviously, those financial institutions did not have your the customer's good at the center of their operation. Right? That was not their focus. If that was their focus, they wouldn't have been selling subprime mortgages. right? Looking you in the eye, knowing that you're not going to be able to afford to pay this back unless the government, the, the economy just continues to grow ad infinitum, which it doesn't. Right? Economies, they grow and they shrink, and we hope that uh, we have series of higher highs and higher lows and that we trend in a positive direction, but the highs and the lows are going to exist nevertheless. Secondly, there is uh, the issue of poor management. And that takes a lot of different forms. Just because the manager's management is making the company a lot of money does not mean that the company is being managed in a way that will sustain the business in the long run. What do I mean by this? 
Well, if your C-suite incentive structure revolves around the members of the C-suite being able to drive revenue or you know lower overhead, maximize their grow their bottom line, that's where their bonus is going to come from, right? And they want big bonuses, so they're highly incentivized to do those two things. Well, if you're not taking a long-term approach to growing your bottom line, there's a lot of things that you can do in the near term to boost profits and make yourself look really good on paper, right? For instance, if one month before the end of the quarter you fire 10,000 people, your overhead has gone way down, right? And assuming your business doesn't fall apart in that quarter, you're going to be able to put out quarterly numbers that look really good. They're going to look very, very strong. But is the company strong? Well, not really, right? Because if you just fired 10,000 people, you've not given me any reason to believe that they were not necessary, they were not essential to the operation. Well, so now you're 10,000 people short. And you got to go hire 10,000 more people, right? And there's all these onboarding costs associated with bringing new people into the company. And you're probably going to have a hard time bringing in the old employees because you just toss them out for no other reason than to be able to post high quarterly profits. And this is a theoretical example, hyperbolic, uh, metaphorical example. I don't know that anything like this per se has happened. But C-suite executives have been motivated by this sort of perverse incentive structure where they're not motivated to make the company more stable and more long-lasting and you know provide higher level of value to the customer uh, maybe a higher level of value to society as a whole they're making the decisions that are going to get them the biggest bonuses at the end of each quarter at the end of each year and those moves they create a high degree of probability for failure, which if you're one of these organizations and you're like, hey, if I fail, government's gonna bail me out, no big deal, why even care about it, so what? Okay, that's fine. I'm gonna be really annoyed with you when that happens. I would prefer to see you avoid that altogether, right? I think that the airlines have an opportunity to provide immense value to our economy, right? To the consumers of air travel, uh, to businesses who move products by aircraft and who are traveling for business on a weekly basis. Uh, I would like to see a high level of integrity, a high level of social conscience, um, and I would like to see American companies lead the way on the global stage for you know, setting an example for what businesses can be, for how businesses can provide immense value to their customers, right? And I, I want to see the executives do well when they're doing that. I'm, you know, as an investor, I'm not very interested in seeing a C-suite executive make a decision just to maximize quarterly or annual profits over one year, right? I would rather see. Uh, the management of a company take much more uh, conservative positions, um, make slightly less risky uh, investments, and the investments that they do make are in the future of the company, right? I want to see them build for future success. I'm not interested in what a company is doing today. Obviously, there are 
right? Not all investors are in the same position as me, but when I invest in a company, I want to have a high degree of certainty that that company is going to be doing well 5, 10, 15 years from now, right? I want to be a, an investor in GE in 1910, right? I want to realize generations of growth in my investments. I don't want to see GE do something crazy so it can post really high earnings per share at the end of a quarter. There's, there's no value in that, right? It gets some investors, some naive investors excited, but it's not providing long-term value. Uh, with the last two stories that we had today, Hurricane Danny, it's dissipating. Doesn't look like it's going to cause too much trouble for those in southern Florida and in Georgia. But it is indicative of the beginning of the hurricane season. Uh, and if you are a company who has any operations, even transportation operations, in areas that can be affected by these storms, you need to be planning now for what you're going to do when there are supply chain disruptions that come as a result of that storm. And then, you know, the last story, U.S. forces uh, in Syria attacked last night, uh, praying for our troops, hope they are well. Um, but, you know, my concern is just rising volatility in the Middle East, right, and hopes that things don't spiral out of control to the point where there can be some massive global value chain disruptions uh, as a result of that conflict. So, anyways, thanks for tuning in and listening to me talk for the past 45 minutes. I hope that... Uh, you found something valuable here today. Uh, my name is Matthew Hayes. I'm the general manager of Aspen Grove Strategic LLC. Uh, please check out our website, www.aspengrovestrategic.com. And if you'd like to reach out to us with any kinds of questions or comments, uh, if you'd like to give me a shout out in the show, whatever, feel free to drop us a line. Uh, that email address will be info at aspengrovestrategic.com. Thanks, guys. Have a great day. Talk soon.